May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, a long, 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 long time ago, in the early 70s, when my husband Tom and I were new members, we were new to the, he wasn't new to the Episcopal Church, but I was, and we were new members, we were newlyweds at St. Bartholomew's Parish in Beaverton. And one of the traditions of that particular congregation was to have an annual camp out on the first weekend in August. And early in the spring, usually right after Easter, someone in the congregation would take the responsibility for getting things organized and calling the campground and arranging for a group campsite. When the weekend finally arrived, all Friday afternoon and into the night, people would arrive to set up camp. Now, back in those ancient days, we were still camping in tents. And with each new arrival, there would be this group that would gather and they would help put up the tent. Now that became a great fun thing to do until it got dark. And then you discovered that as you were putting up someone's tent, they didn't have all the poles. Still lots of laughter. And we had a great time helping one another. By Saturday morning, we had this tent village that had been completed and all weekend, we lived together in community. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek translation, skinu, for this phrase is that God came and tented among us. The use of the word tenting is a reminder of God's presence in the tabernacle with the Israelites as they wandered in the desert, of God's presence in the temple in Jerusalem. This tenting with people means that God is right in the midst of everything. God is no longer to be removed from the people, but in Jesus, God becomes physically present in their midst. God came in human form and tented with us. Jesus came as one of us, joining us as part of the human community. That's what incarnation is all about. God loved humanity so much that God was willing to send God's only son, knowing, knowing that he would be killed and knowing that wasn't going to be the end of the story. I love John's gospel. It's my favorite gospel, but no one, can, no one could ever confuse it with Matthew and Luke. Seems as though John doesn't really either care about or need a description of the nativity story in the same way his synoptic brothers do. And I thought this week about my, this whole um, prologue of John's gospel, which is, very dense. I thought about my um, ancient history, my personal history as a journalist. I thought about maybe one way to explore this piece of scripture 
is using that old journalistic method of, of viewing a passage with the five W's, you know them, the who, what, where, why, when. So what's really happening here? According to John, Jesus, the word, has been present since before the beginning of time. And God is coming to earth to take on human form. God will be in the physical tent of humanity. God has been involved in human history forever, but now God's involvement is personal and particular. And why, why is this necessary? Why is this necessary to do this? God for, for God to come in human form, well, it's because the world had fallen into darkness and is in need of light. Jesus comes as the light to combat the darkness. As John says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not. Remember this. The darkness did not overcome it. And that's a statement. It's also a promise. Have you ever been in total darkness? If you can imagine, and maybe you've done this, it's um, going into a cave where there is no outside light being able to get in. Now turn off your flashlight, because you probably have a flashlight to go with you. Turn off the flashlight and stand with your eyes closed in that darkness. That sense of absolute darkness. And then someone takes out a little pen light, one of the smallest little flashlights and turns it on. Notice how different it can be even in the smallest of light can make a difference in that total darkness. So who, who are we talking about here? Well, one author suggests that the who isn't really the word, but maybe it's about the reality of the opportunity that we have to become God's children, to become new creatures, new creation. And as John writes, our birth, not of blood, for we won't, we won't have our human characteristics forever, or of the will of the flesh, we're more than just our desires, or the will of humans, but we are, in fact, children of God. Restored in this new creation, in the Word made flesh, Jesus, each of us receives the invitation to become a new creation. So, where and when did this happen? According to John, not just in a manger in Bethlehem long, long ago, but here and now, today, just like in ancient times with you and with me. We are given new birth through the coming of the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Maybe Christmas isn't only about Jesus' birthday, but ours. Ours as we take on and receive new life in Christ. The writer David Luce comments, he says, John may not know much about the details of the Christmas story, but he does know about the heart and soul of the Incarnation that because Jesus, the very embodiment of God's grace, 
takes on human flesh, we are granted the chance to know the unknowable God and recognize ourselves as those children beloved by God. You are beloved of God. This is the gift of Christmas, a new identity, a new opportunity, a new humanity, and all through God in Christ. This is the gift of Christmas. And it deserves our full attention on this day and indeed throughout all of the year. This new awareness can come in surprising ways and at unexpected times. During seminary, I did my field education work at the Episcopal Sanctuary in the Mission District in San Francisco. I had only been there about a month when I arrived for my first dinner with the guests. I'll never forget it, for those of you who know me. It was meatloaf night. I love meatloaf, yay! And my tray was filled with meatloaf and all of the other things they had. And I went to find a seat in the room where they were serving dinner. There was one round table with only one woman sitting at it, so I thought to myself, well, maybe she'd like some company. I walked over to her and I said, may I join you? Why? She responded, don't you know that you're supposed to eat with the staff? Actually, I didn't know that. But I responded, oh, well, I thought I'd sit out here if that's okay with you. She just kind of glared at me and said, suit yourself, sit down. Well, over the next 20 minutes, we had a cryptic conversation ensued, and as I finished eating and prepared to leave, for some unknown reason, I asked her if she had an assigned space in the sanctuary. Not everyone got an assigned space, but some people did. To my astonishment, she said yes, and would I like to come and visit her home? We went to her home, oh, and we sat for the next hour on her bunk, and she told me about her life growing up in a Christian home, going to high school and experimenting with drugs, college and a master's in theology. That took a little while to talk about. Her work and more drugs her loss of job and loss of identity, more drugs and homelessness, and somehow rediscovering God's presence and now in residence at the sanctuary shelter. On my BART ride back to Berkeley that night, I thought about how the word had become flesh in my presence through that woman how God was incarnate through her, shining the light of hope in an otherwise very dark world. And the word became flesh and lived among us. Do we, do we believe and live as if Jesus 
lives among us? Where in our lives is Jesus dwelling? Think about it. Where does Jesus fit into your life? How do you experience the light of Christ within you? And where have you seen the Christ light around you? I have seen and been changed by the light of Christ shining in every corner and crevice of this cathedral complex. In the kitchen, where dishes are washed and food prepared and shared, in the nursery and the godly playrooms when they're in use for the smallest of our members are loved and cared for. In the booth and in the table where our technological wizards work their magic. In letters and cards written, phone calls made and prayers offered. In Zoom calls and meetings and classes. In laughter and sorrow, in anger and hope, in the defeated and the energized, in the music, in the pageantry, in the witness to the light of Christ far beyond these walls. Christ's light is shining through you. Thank you for sharing your light with me for these last 14 months. Continue to witness to the light dwelling among you and within you. It has the power to extinguish the darkness. I leave you with abundant love and gratitude with the words of Howard Thurman. When the song of the angels is stilled, and the star in the sky is gone, and the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, and to make music in the heart. Amen.